Today's reading is from Luke 10, 25 through 37, and it's a story I think most of us know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. I'm Julie Williams, a grateful member of Valley Presbyterian and a proud deacon here as well. And before I begin my words, I think you may have heard a siren. Um, we have a Good Samaritan moment going on down the street. A biker was hurt, and as I was driving up, they were doing CPR. So I thought maybe it would be a nice start for us to have a moment to send a healing prayer from our church. Today, I will be talking about the wonderful parable from Luke. And I'm going to tie it in, because our lectionary does this too, with the first words from our confession from Amos, the plumb line. And I actually brought one today. <laughs> I learned about these from my grandmothers back in the East, and they used it to hang wallpaper on our kind of crooked East Coast houses. <laughs> I had no idea until this week that actually this was first invented by our ancient ancestors. Our Israelite forefathers used plumb lines to make sure that their temples were strong, that they wouldn't be knocked down. This one little tool went way beyond wallpaper and it was foundational and sacred, the plumb line. In the quote from Amos, the one we just read in the confession, 
The plumb line is a metaphor. The Israelites are called to commit their lives, the temples of themselves really, to God's commandments and God promises back all the love he has. See, the Lord tells Amos, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of you, my people. Follow my commandments, he explains. Give me your loyal allegiance. Your way will be made straight. Succeeding verses go on and they describe the benefits of a loving allegiance to God. Along this straight plumb line, crops will grow green and abundant. Children will be born. Justice will flourish. Up, down, straight ahead. So reassuring. There's also strong language for what happens to people who don't follow that straight line. Not so great. There's fire, flood, famine, wasting, horrible sickness. Did I mention it's not so great? This tension around the plumb line carried through all the books of the Bible as our ancestors worshiped and squabbled and pondered questions just like we do today. It's so comforting to have a singular plumb line to live by, but also, well, clearly in this perception, this conception, there's quite a danger. What if a perfectly nice, decent, kind person maybe strikes a little different path? While we're going there, what if another nice, decent, kind person isn't a person of Israel? What if? Which leads to our New Testament passage today, which is a plumb line parable in the history of Christianity. It's also in my own life. Even though my parents weren't believers, I have cherished memories of sitting on my mother's lap with a picture book of the Good Samaritan, whose ethics my parents loved, and I did too. What a tender and beautiful story. A man lies near death by the side of the road. Two men expected by role to be devout and caring people walk right by the good man oh the samaritan talk about that in a minute does the holy thing he bandages the wounded man gives up his own animal to carry him pray, pays for the man's healing time only much later did i learn the social and political complexity of that story it's so simple and so complicated too in ancient times Samaritans and Israelites were once friendly cousins in faith. Over time, however, as their notions of plumb line doctrine were sorted out, the tribes fell away from one another. Reading the ancient commentaries brought to my mind some of the social politics that I deal with when I teach my middle school students. They'll get very excited, upset, kind of huff, and I'll snort, and I'll say, what happened? And the kids will look and say, he looked at me. Or they'll say, I just know he was thinking bad stuff. <laughs> By the time of this parable, the Samaritans and Israelites had reached a far end of those misunderstandings. They, Samaritans, had decamped to a temple at Mount Gerizim, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, 
Israelites went to their own lands and temples, and if an Israelite wanted to pass Samaritan territory, it became routine to cross the Jordan River to avoid being contaminated by Samaritan soil. This was the context for the priest and the Levite hurrying on their way. Each one was tasked with maintaining a purity in the church. Each one was busy maintaining what he thought was a plumb line of custom and cleanliness. Each one undoubtedly thought he was being a good neighbor to his neighbors, defined as a proximal community of like-minded souls, except famously each one almost let a fellow human die. And so in the radical story which Jesus brings us, the hero emerges, even greater than the one I loved as a little girl. That Samaritan stepped across time and place. He performed a traveling mercy that's still remarkable, and it's such a rigorous call to action today. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Every word counts here because every human being is the answer. Every human being. And that's not even enough, says Jesus. We have to love each other. We have to love each person as we love ourselves. So as I prepared my talk today, I realized how central the story is and how it isn't just a straight plumb line, really. It bends the line. It makes it a powerful kind of circle. The Samaritan, who's clearly way off the line, if you asked an Israelite back then, okay, he stepped completely out of his social context to do a holy mercy, to reach out and re-empower this dying man whose own life will now never be the same. Admittedly, okay, this one act does not change an entire surrounding culture of bigotry, but it makes the decisive historic step and after the one choice, both men, we can only assume, will have a new world inside, new life and new views. Life will never be exactly the same. So Jesus is unequivocal about the lesson we witness here. Go, he says, and do likewise. Join in the circle of care that is life. Receive the grace of radical love. It comes to us, we give it freely. We join in a circle of care. Do it enough and the whole world will change. So over the last month, those words spoke to me anew as the Bay Area was celebrating Pride Month. For all the exuberance, it's a bittersweet event because it sprang out of harsh and frightening attitudes that were quite reminiscent of some of those Samaritan-Israelite conflicts, I think. This year, I've been especially moved by remembrance of the early AIDS epidemic, a time when I myself had just moved to San Francisco, when once healthy young men were quite literally collapsing on the side of roads, when even some hospitals were turning them away when leaders in our own extended Christian community could be seen on TV, sometimes even preaching that that might be God's avenging hand. 
In those years, a woman named Rita Berger moved from the East, much as I had. She was restarting her life after a broken time, after a divorce, and also the tragic loss of a toddler. Rita was herself not exactly a holy Israelite in her lifestyle. She was a cocktail waitress and a dancer. Working in San Francisco, she met Dennis, a gay bartender who introduced her to his friends, and before long she was healing in their midst, and they were singing, dancing, finding life. These men who had been so reviled were her Samaritans. And filled with joy again, she even changed her name to Rita Rocket, echoing the Rockettes. But then the unthinkable happened. Dennis was diagnosed with AIDS, which was the death sentence in those days. And now it was Rita who was called to help. At Easter 1984, she famously planned a brunch for Dennis at the now famous Ward 5A in San Francisco General Hospital. Dennis died the week before, but Rita held the brunch anyway. It was so touching and so successful that she decided to return every other Sunday morning for 16 years. All this generosity would be spectacular enough, but Rita took it another step. For her Sunday brunches, Rita would dress up, and I mean dress. You can see her in footage from old news stories. She appears in a new documentary as well that just came out last month. In Rita's case, dressing up meant white lace from head to toe with a tail for Easter, okay? Mrs. Claus red velvet for Christmas, and tap shoes. She loved to dance, and why not? She even came through on roller skates sometimes and would break into song and dance when she was serving her macaroni, lemon tarts, and roast chicken. Remember, this was a time when California lawmakers seriously debated quarantining AIDS victims on an off-coast island. There were Christian churches angrily closing doors, and there was Rita over at San Francisco General hugging the patients and kissing their foreheads, serving meals I can only think of as a form of communion every other Sunday for 16 years. How did she do this? In a news interview from 1986, Rita talked about reaching back into her own heritage. When anything went wrong, she remembered, you brought food. That's just what you do. This speaks to me as a deacon. That's just what you do. That's what the Good Samaritan was showing us. That's what Rita did. That's what I think Jesus meant when he said, go and do likewise. But the flamboyant joy in Rita's meal speaks to yet one more layer. I've struggled with this myself. As a caring person, a teacher, I have often struggled to stay balanced how will I care in a sustainable way for others and have enough reserves to keep giving? And it calls to mind the great words from Christian theologian Fred Buechner. He said, the place God calls you to, he said, that place is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Your deep gladness, your gratitude, 
and the world's deep needs. Christian service, that, that whole embrace of the circle of care, that, that doesn't mean that we joylessly in any way, we don't drain ourselves. I think the calling that was so poetically enacted by Rita was, was captured in the Samaritan parable. It describes an endless, sustainable circle of care. It moves the whole world forward. It means that the great, unique joy in each of us is a God gift. We receive a treasure to hold in gratitude and then to share. Rita Berger never had much money, but she loved to cook food, and oh, did she love to dress up and dance. For all those people she served, for those suffering patients, for staff who gave of themselves, often at great risk, for the families and friends bent with grief, for all of them, Rita made a life-changing difference. My childhood story hero was a humble man in a brown cloak. Today, in the second half of my life, seeing a broad world, I also hold up his descendants, people like Rita, and I hear again that rigorous, challenging Christ question. In each day of our lives, how will we go and do likewise? So I myself don't really look that great in white lace bunny suits. <laughs> but I do love to cook. I love to write. I love the colors across our great land. I treasure my own children and the children I serve in my career. I love standing here today. This week, I think our Bible's calling each of us to consider our own unique joys. Where will we participate in this great circle of care? Today, let's remember the beautiful work of the Good Samaritan, of Rita, and all those who've inspired us at the meeting place of their great gladness and the world's deep hunger. Let's remember the words of Jesus. Let's go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you. Amen.